Please pray with me, church. Father God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this time. And right now, we ask, I ask you to just help us focus our thoughts onto you. And let the words that, that I say be yours. And if they are not yours, don't let me speak them. I should have blessed me as I try to spread your message. Bless the people here. that They can hear what they need to hear from your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, I grew up in a house where, I mean, obviously there were rules, but there was one rule that seemed to trump everything. Actually, it didn't seem to trump everything. It did trump everything. And my dad made it very clear that rule number one in our house was very simple. Mind your mother. And rule number two was very similar to it. Rule number two said... See rule number one. Those were and are the regulations in my parents' house. And I see some of y'all nodding your heads. I see you are familiar with the regulations as well. You have played by the same rules. Now, it was a single point that my dad made, and he wanted to make it, was that the most important thing in his life was that my mother was happy. And he wanted to make sure that I knew that. He passed that on to me and my sister, or to my sister and me, as a message of first importance. And just to help you understand this, there was a time when my sister and I, I mean, she's two years older than me, so naturally we fought like cats and dogs. Um, she was a big dog. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, Rick's laughing. He knows my sister. That's why. <laughs> but my, my, sister and I were fi- my sister and I were fighting, and she, I, I don't know why this happened. I mean, I, I won't confess it in front of you, but my sister took off running from me for some reason. And she ran into her room, and she slammed the door behind her, and I took off, I took off right after her, and I was just a little bit too slow, and she got the door closed before I could get in. And so she's got the, she's holding on to the knob, so I can't get in, and I'm pushing it, and I'm trying to get the knob working, and it's not working. And so I told her, I said, hey, sis, you better get ready. And she's talking smack back to me. She's like, what? What do I got to be ready for? You can't get in here. I said, I'm about to throw my shoulder through your door. And she says, no, you won't. You're not that stupid. Oh, challenge accepted. <laughs> I slammed my shoulder into the door, and it, I, I heard her bump a little bit. And I was like, what's going on? I said, I'm going to do it again. I thought about just Sparta kicking the door, just bam, kick it down. I said, you know, I'm big enough. I'm going to put my shoulder into it one more time. And I warned her. I said, I'd get away from that door if I were you. I went back away from it. And she said, how big a boy are you? My sister is talking Roy D. Mercer trash to me. All right. So I slammed my shoulder into that door one more time. And guess what? Well, that door popped right open. <laughs> what I did not know was that when I had warned my sister that last time, she had put her back against the door and her feet against the wall. Which means whenever I shoved my shoulder into that door, my sister went through the wall. Now, all of a sudden, we weren't enemies anymore. We were on the same side again. And at the same time, we said, Dad's going to be ticked. Well, about half an hour later, Dad comes home, and you walk into my parents' house. You walk, you walk in, and there's stairs, and you see right up to that door, right up where that hole is at. And he gets in. He opens up the door, and he says, Hey, kid. Nothing. 
We hear him go down. He sits down at his lunchbox. He, he comes over. He comes upstairs. And we're both standing there like, at least I'm good with God. Uh, <laughs> and he looks at it and he says, your mother is going to be so mad. <laughs> and our punishment was that we had to fix that hole in the wall before mom got home because we all paid attention to rule number one, which was mind your mother. And everybody would have been in trouble if that hole hadn't gotten fixed. But my dad wanted to make sure that we got this lesson so many times in our life that to keep rule number one, rule number one. And my dad truly lived his life keeping rules number one and number two, number one. And today I think we need a little reminder of what our rule number one is. Because we have a lot of things trying to take our attention away right now, church. Now, I'm not going to mention them here because I don't want to invoke those kinds of thoughts or arguments or whatever into this. Because in this lesson, I want to keep the things of first importance, the things of first importance. And in a sermon, as it is with anything in life, it's easy to get distracted. Even in our Christianity. So today, let's take some time to remember what is of first importance to the Christian. If you have a Bible, you can open it up or turn it on to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Those of y'all with the children's worship worship handout, this is where you're going to start filling in some of those blanks. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8, say, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to to Peter and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. So now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. The gospel I have preached to you and Chris has preached to you, and Rick has preached to you, and David has preached to you, and many other people have preached to you, I want to remind you of the gospel you have received. I want to remind you of the gospel on which you have taken your stand. And I want to remind you that it is by this gospel, and only this gospel, that you are saved. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Meaning, if the gospel is not what you have pinned this life on, if the gospel is not what you have pinned all of this on, then church, what are we believing? The gospel is what life is all about. This is what matters. This is of first importance. And the gospel is simple. It is the life of Christ. Jesus died for our sins. 
Jesus was buried. Jesus was raised on the third day. That is of first importance. That is what matters. The life of Jesus is what matters of first importance. Above everything, we have to remember the gospel is what matters the most. In that section, Paul makes no mention of popularity, prestige, or power. Paul makes no mention of money, materials, or man-made monuments. Paul makes no mention of politics, practices, or perception. Paul is very clear that what matters is simple, church. The life of Jesus. And the death, the burial, and the resurrection is the story of Jesus. You see, the death, uh, we're going to go into a couple of these parts in these parts real quick. The death of Christ is one interesting part of the story because I don't know about to you, but to me, it, it actually automatically raises a question. If we're talking about the death of Christ, did Jesus come here just to die for our sins? If I ask a lot of people, why did Jesus come? They'd say to die for our sins. And that's an all well and good answer. But that's not all of it. I mean, if, if Jesus came to die for our sins, then why wait 30 plus years to do it? Why not let Herod kill him as a baby? He was innocent then too. We hadn't even had the, the whip and the flipping tables discussion yet. So why wait? I think the answer is this, church. I think Jesus came to show us how to die. And in doing so, show us how to live. See, the sad truth is that from the day we're born, we are one day closer to dying. Which means we only have so many days, and the question is, what will we do with those days? Now, in the time of Jesus... If, if you look up average life expectancy, it's actually really low in that time, mainly because high uh, birth mortality rate. But once a person lived past childhood, you could easily live 50 to 60 years in that time. So at the time of his death, Jesus was about halfway through how long he would have been expected to live. So now I ask, if we're comparing things, if we want our life to look like Christ— And if you're halfway through your life, then ask yourself this question. How many of your days look as if the thing of first most importance in that day is the life of Christ? Church, if the life of Christ is the thing of first importance in our lives. Then let Philippians 2 be true. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. 
being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear Lord, let that be true. Let that be our first importance. Jesus showed us the way to live, and in doing so, showed us the way to die. Now, if we look at it, everything about the life of Christ is actually summed up at his death. Christ died to himself day after day after day after day, even when he got, if people tried to offend him, even if people tried to upset him. Christ chose to die to himself day after day. And his final statement of natural life was to do it one more time. He had sacrificed in all kinds of ways, but what was asked of him was something that he plainly in Scripture did not want to do. But he was willing to do it for God. And he still did it for the very people that were making fun of him. People that were taking the clothes off his back. People that were mocking him. People that were insulting him. People that were just trashing him in every way they could. Even killing him. Jesus said, I will serve them. I am willing to die for them. Now church, I ask, can we show that kind of death in our daily lives? I don't know about you, but, but sometimes I, I lose my Christ-like attitude pretty quickly. We, we get offended or hurt, and we act out, and we say things as if we never read a word that Jesus wrote, much less claimed him as our Lord and Savior. I'm not proud of that, church. That's me admitting failure. I'm in this boat with you. I'm fighting this battle, too. But we have to be able to admit our failures. If we don't admit where we fail, then church, how can we get better? Can we die to ourselves each day and live as a servant of love? Can we give up things and let go of things that we hold dear if it means someone else will grow closer to Jesus because of it? If the gospel is what you pinned your life on, church, then I want to remind you of the gospel on which you've taken your stand. Now the burial, the burial is another part of the story. The burial is the story of how the world thinks it has won. The world will kill worldly things. If there's anything the world teaches you, it is that. The world will kill worldly things. The world has power. The burial is where the disciples lost hope. The burial is where the days seemed dark. The burial is where it seemed like evil had done its worst. The burial is where sin seems to be the strongest. The burial is living in a world that seems to be crushed and collapsing. The burial is living in a world that seems like God just lost the fight. The burial is living in a world that seems like nobody cares about what God thinks. But church, if the gospel is what you pin your life on, then I want to remind you of the gospel which saves you. I want to remind you because the burial is also the part of the story where we realize the world's power is limited. Limited. 
Because however strong the world might be, we have to keep the things of first importance the things of first importance. In the case of the burial, the thing of first importance is the resurrection. Nowhere in the story is the power of the world the important part of the story. As frightening as the powers of the world and the burial might have been, we have to remember just how limited the world's power is. You see, the world played its trump card. It played the burial card. Jesus was dead and in the ground. And God shows us all that the strongest card the world has to play doesn't matter at all. The world plays its trump card because the world thinks it's playing the, the world thinks we're playing poker. But God is playing chess. The world thinks it won, but it doesn't even have the right equipment for the game that is being played. We cannot be scared when the world plays a card. We cannot be scared when things don't look good. We cannot respond with dis- the despair of the disciples when the world shows its darkness. Because, church, no matter what happens in this world, nothing will change the things of first importance. Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected. And nothing changes that. Psalm 62 says, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would, would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to top me from the lofty place. They all take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their heart they curse. Yes, my soul. Find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Church, if the gospel is what you pin your life on, then in this day and age, I want to remind you of the message of first importance. The life of Jesus. Now, I'll be honest with the church. There's, there's one thing we really need to do. We need to calm down. We need to calm down about things that don't matter. Because we need to get fired up about things that do. We need to stop living in fear and start living by faith. We should not be afraid of what the world does because it does not change the gospel. We should not be afraid of what laws they pass or don't pass because that will not change the gospel. We should not be afraid of what the future might bring at all because nothing will change the gospel. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret, church. God is not afraid of this world. God is not afraid of what this world might do. God is not afraid of our power or abuses of it. God is not on the ropes. God is not weakened. 
Nothing this world can do by any stretch of the imagination can make our God afraid. And that is our God. So why are we afraid? It's simple, church, because we have let other things become our things of first importance. We are called to make the life of Christ the thing of most first importance in our lives. If the gospel is not first most in our lives, then we have to ask the question, what is? Because a man cannot serve two masters. <clears throat> you know, I heard, a, I heard a saying once about people. And it stuck with me a lot, and I probably drilled it into the LFC's heads. It's that you can tell a person's priorities by the hours of a clock. How we spend our time during the day tells without a lie what the most important thing in our life is. During most of the day, would you say that your attitude and your life look like that of Jesus? You see, we're so worried about what the world is doing when we could be taking that energy and instead of putting it into worry and fear and anger and turn it into something productive that looks a lot more like Jesus. But man, we let things distract us so much. Some of us are even distracted in here right now. I'll give you a, I'll give you a test. Don't worry, you don't have to like turn the answers to this into the elders after worship or anything, okay? But here's the test. We are here for worship, right? While we are singing or praying here, when the sole purpose is to gather for worship, while we are singing and praying, are we actually singing and praying as if the life of Jesus was the most important thing in our lives? Or are we giving spiritual handouts to God? And walking away wondering why we're not blessed. Or why we don't feel lifted up. You see, church, the reality is the only thing that can stop us from singing and praying is nothing that the world can do to us. The only thing that can stop us from singing and praying and worshiping is us. Church, a lot of us need to get excited about God again. Not just about what he has done, but about what he is doing. And every bit of our life, especially our worship, will change when we make Jesus the most important things in our life. Church, we need to calm down about what the world is doing and get excited about what God is doing. We need to redirect our energy into the things that really matter. Let's not worry about what the world is, is doing because the world didn't sign up to follow Jesus. We did. The world has never looked like Jesus. So we need to stop freaking out that it doesn't look like him now. If it didn't, our job would be a lot easier. But as it stands, we have a job, and it is a difficult one, to keep the life of Christ as the most important things in our life. We are about to wrap this up. If we love Jesus, we will keep him first in our lives, in our ways, in our thoughts, in our Facebook, our Instagram, our conversations, in our lives completely. If we love Jesus, we will obey his commands. The greatest command from Jesus is, 
Love your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, rule number two sounds a lot like rule number one. Because if we learn to love God, we will learn to love our neighbor. And that looks a lot like Jesus. And that is the issue of first importance. Scripture is clear. People will know we are Christians by our love. Jesus did not stutter when he said that. This world will recognize us as disciples of Christ when we live a life following him so closely that we are followed in the dust, we are covered in the dust of his footsteps. May we live up to such a challenge. May we stop letting our lives get wrecked by what we think the world is doing or by what we are worried about the world is doing because nothing this world does is going to change a thing about God. I pass this message on to you as as of first importance. That when you walk out of here, you make Christ the most important thing in your life. That you walk out of here saying, I want to walk like him, talk like him, act like him, forgive like him, have compassion like him, love like him. Because at some time in your life, you made a confession that sounded like Thomas. My Lord, my God. That's a confession. Not just calling Jesus the Son of God. Even the demons believe Jesus is the Son of God. We call Jesus our Lord. And church, we better live like it. As of first importance, live like Christ. Let's stop worrying about what the world is doing. Stop worrying about what the world is doing. And let's get excited about what God is doing. We're about to sing a song of invitation, a song of encouragement. If you need God moving in your life, we need to know that. If you need to, be, if you need to enter into the waters of baptism, you need to do that. If you have something on your heart, or if this world is breaking you down and you need prayed for, we'll have elders in room 100 ready to pray for you. You can come down here. We'll be happy to pray for you. You can even look to the person on your side and ask them to pray for you. And I guarantee you they will do it. Because there is one thing this church is founded on. One thing. Jesus. Be blessed, church.